0: you know, I was getting my first paycheck and it's all great. Right. Um, And I I asked my dad, I was like, okay, so how do I go from this to becoming rich? You know, and he, he kind of laughed and he was like, oh, do you think you'll get rich with just a paycheck? Because, you know, you need to be able to learn how to have other income streams and um what it means to have passive income and i was like well i i just wish someone told me that before like you know i'm working all this time to get one job and i think that life is supposed to be set at that point right um but little did i know that there's just this whole world of things that matter that i'm just not thinking about until i get my job so financial independence is one of them
1: Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Melanie Sarra. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, beautiful, badass women who have been guests on this show. I had a mission to travel to every country in the world, but since that didn't work out, my new mission is to speak to at least one woman from every country in the world. There are 193 countries, and I still have at least 180 to go. So, If you know of somebody who has an amazing story to tell, let me know. I'm all ears. In today's episode, we're speaking with Karishma Astana. Karishma was born and brought up in the United States. However, her parents were born in India, but her father grew up in Africa. Karishma is the host of the newly minted Missteps to Success podcast. In this episode, Kirshma talks about learning to make her own decisions, leading a disability awareness program, and understanding how to be financially independent. This is her story. Hey, Kirshma, thank you so much for joining the Gladiatrix podcast. I'm really, really excited for you to be on the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. So you were born um, in the US, Mm -hmm. but your parents immigrated uh, from India. So tell me a little more about your experience growing up as a first generation in the United States.
0: Yeah. um, So it's actually interesting because my mom, she's from India, but my dad, um, when he was two, he moved to Africa. So he never really fully considered himself Indian the same way I don't. Um, And so with that in mind, I feel like my upbringing was a little bit different than my Indian peers. It wasn't the full traditional uh, Indian household. Um, The only reason that I would ever hear Hindi in my house is because our grandparents lived with us. Um, But my parents spoke to me in English and I spoke back to my grandparents in English. Um, And it was, I would say, in terms of school, right, it wasn't really pressuring, which is interesting. My parents were different in that sense. Um, they kind of raised me to have internal drive somehow. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I would say that part is different, I, right? I have a lot of uh, South Asian peers and their upbringing was very different in that sense. Um, but what was different um or you know what was a little bit more true to maybe being different not being fully white american is um i wanted to do things that other girls did in middle school i wanted to straighten my hair i wanted to get brand name jeans i wanted to wear makeup none of that was allowed um and i remember when my, when I was finally allowed to, you know, straighten my hair and do all that, it was kind of like milestone markers, right? Like, okay, I turned 12. I can do this. I turned 14. I can do this. But my younger sister would also do it at the same time as me. And I was like, well, I, <laughs> I had to wait, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I guess one
1: of the downsides of being the oldest, right?
0: Right, exactly. Um, But, you know, of course, in South Asian culture, being the oldest does mean something. Um, You know, being an elder means that you have respect, right? Like my younger sisters call me Didi for no reason other than I was born before them. And so with that in mind, you know, I felt like I always had to kind of be an example, be the older sister Um, And so I think with that, I've always been the perfect child. And so whatever my dad says, I agree, I do, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do the right thing always. And it was very eye opening to me when my younger sister didn't, you know, she was a little bit more of the rebel, you know, she did her own thing. She had her own thoughts and opinions. She went against my dad on things. And I was like, I didn't know this was allowed. Uh, So, um, yeah, I think that kind of had an impact on me as well.
1: So, um, growing up, you know, you went through, um, high school and what was it like, in high school where you had to choose your major and, you know, even after high school deciding what you wanted to do its one of the most traumatic experiences. I think for most teenagers is like, you know, unless you've planned it like way ahead of time, I mean, and then with your, the, you know, the tussle you have with your parents because what they want you to do and what you want to do are usually not the same. So mm-hmm. how did you navigate through that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, high school was was interesting. Um, again, my parents were very different um, in that I would tell my dad, like, oh, should I take these advanced courses? And he would say, just take what you're going to be good at, because he wanted me to have good grades for college. Um, college was the big thing. Um, college is where it all mattered. Before that, I kind of did whatever I wanted in class and, and whatnot. But Um, you know, when it came to choosing a major for college and, you know, this is my favorite story that I like to tell. um, But my dad, he sat me down and he knows how I think he's a smart guy. And he said, all right, we're going to look at entry level salaries of software engineers. And, um, you know, I didn't really think about salary or anything like that. Like for me going into college, I was like, I think I'll study something like business. You know, that seems practical. It's general. Um, but for him, he, he sat me down, he showed me the salaries. And then he said to me, he said, do you know how many shoes this can buy you in a year? And that sold me. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like I have to do this. <laughs> um, and so it, it's interesting how he, he puts pressure in, in, Kind of the most subtle ways. He never said, you have to major in computer science. It was the simple act that he wanted it for me. And I wanted to be everything that he wanted me to be. I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to do everything right. So I took it on as my dad made me do it. He didn't really make me, I guess, Mm -hmm. but he highly encouraged it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I got into a few different schools, but I, of course, like I didn't come from a computer science or technical background. So with that in mind, I didn't get into any computer science specific schools. Um but there is one school I got into, which was a liberal arts school. And with that, you can major in anything you want. You don't have to get into the computer science school or business school or whatever for it. So he pushed me to go for that one because he was like, then you can major in computer science. It's kind of like, you know, your gateway for that. Um, and so I went there and it's it's interesting. I I still to this day don't know why I threw myself into it because this was a school in Connecticut. My parents are from Texas. I have no family in the Northeast. I don't know anyone in the Northeast. I didn't know anything about Connecticut. Um, it was just kind of like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I, <laughs> it was, I it's guess amazing. it's an attestment.
1: I guess it's an testament to your sense of adventure. sense
0: Probably of adventure were some- just that I just wanted to do whatever my dad wanted me to do, I guess. Yeah, okay. Put it
1: that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I went ahead and did it, and it was so hard. I was pushing myself outside of my comfort zone to the max. I I was the girl who was good at English, who was good at psychology and econ, anything with humanities. Um, and so to do something like this was was just beyond anything I could imagine for myself. And while I was going through it, it felt that way too. And it was funny because I would come home to Austin for the summers and it was amazing how many people from my high school really knew me because I would say, oh, you know, I'm majoring in computer science and they would look at me and go, you, you know, like it just wasn't who my identity in the least bit. But, um, you know, at, in college, everyone thought I was a very like technical person. And, you know, I was right where I belonged. So having kind of that shift in identity was also interesting because I was doing something that, um, wasn't me, but people thought it was me. Um, anyways, so all of that being said, I took computer science to become a software engineer. I had that goal from when my dad showed me the salaries. Um, I can tell you, I, I, could not get a single job. I could not pass a coding interview. Um, I networked a lot. That was something that I was good at. And I remember networking and and getting in touch with this woman who works in security, who I idolize. And she got me in touch with this great company. Um, you know, I won't say names here, but, uh, it was a dream company for me. And she got me in touch with the CISO and he liked me and he was like, oh, you can be a security engineer at this company. So he put me through the hiring process. But what was interesting was the hiring manager was confused why I was applying for that role because I, I wasn't really answering the questions. Well, I I wasn't doing well in the coding interview. Um, and I, I mean, obviously they didn't tell me this, but I found out later that the CISO thought I was trainable and he liked my passion. Um, and so they were, they were thinking of even adjusting the interview process for me, um, to make it easier. And that, really, really broke me. And I, I stopped the interview process, even as as great as the opportunity was, I just did not want to get in that way. Um, and I was like, if the interviews is this hard, can you imagine the jobs, job. so, Right. Oh <laughs> you know, goodness. that was, that was tough. And, you know, my dad actually really wanted me to go to that company so that this was the first time in my life that I did something on my own, I I made a decision on my own and and didn't do what he wanted me to do. Um, So that was that was a very,
1: very big turning point, I would say. So how did you manage that? I mean, because that was must have been, like you said, a blow to Mm -hmm. you because you're like, wait, Life is not what I thought it would be. I thought yeah. I would graduate and there would be people lined up to give me a job and I would have this exactly. great, you know, five to six figure salary. My dad mm-hmm. would be so proud of me. I could buy all the <laughs> shoes I wanted, <laughs> exactly. you know, but that's not how it worked out. So how did you justify or how did you explain it to your dad when you, when you realized that this is not, this is not meant for me and it's okay that it's not meant for me. How did you justify that? Yeah, um,
0: I think it was it was difficult, but I, I'll I'll start off with with kind of how I figured out what I did want to do, and I think that will help me answer this question better. Um, there was this girl who, you know, I work at Accenture. She works at Accenture, and um, she came to our school to talk about what it's like to work at Accenture. And I was so enamored. I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. You know, like I love that you can talk to people, work in teams, do different things, and I can stay close to tech, but I don't actually have to be the engineer. Um, You know, I can be more on the strategy side of things or, you know, what have you. So with that in mind, I think that presentation that she gave at my school actually opened my mind because I did not know you could be in tech without being a software engineer. Um, For me, it was one in the same. Um, And so once that presentation happened, you know, I applied and and all of that. And um, I remember when I was going through the interview process for that company my dad wanted, I told him, I am not happy and I'm not going to be happy if I'm an engineer. And, you know, I, I think I want to give consulting a try. And, you know, consulting is is not a bad thing to say to your South Asian parents. So it's not like I was really losing out there. And I think he also was in the same boat, like, okay, like consulting sounds good, you know, um, but it was still kind of that moment that I even said anything or even questioned right and you know when he said you should work at this company I for the for my the entirety of my life I hadn't questioned anything I'd been doing everything as he said but this time I said maybe I shouldn't be a software engineer and, and that was a big question. Um and I'm lucky that it, it went well. <laughs> but yeah I would say that now you know especially as I'm kind of finding more and more about myself you know and and taking less and less advice from him not that it's bad advice i think i'm just learning how to stand on my own and i actually would like to say that my mom is a big influence for that as well um you know she told me like i you know i married early you know i went from being my father's daughter to being someone's wife i never got to find myself and that has probably been one of my biggest drivers um for going through life because I'm like okay like I have this time now to figure who I am out so you know although my dad's been a big influence I'd say that part has also driven me you know I had a serious boyfriend in college and I had the opportunity I had a job offer in New York he was in New York and I could have pursued that but I actually made this step. And I said, I have a job offer in LA and I'm going to take it. And I'm just going to be on my own and, and figure myself out. And although I said that, I want to say to people that it's not easy to figure yourself out. That's not something that's a, a checklist process. Um, I would say, I currently am in the same place where I'm telling myself I want to figure myself out. (laughs) So um, I just want people to know that like if, if they say that to themselves and, and they kind of feel like, okay, it's been six months where I've been doing things on my own and I still don't feel like I figured myself out. um, I've learned and, you know, I don't know yet how successful it is, but I've learned that putting yourself in new situations and seeing results from it gives you confidence and teaches you more about yourself. So, for example, going through computer science, I didn't get a software engineering job, but it just unlocked a lot of different parts of me that wouldn't have unlocked if I didn't do that major. Um, I led a an organization at Accenture, um, which. I didn't think I was going to do before. I had no leadership experience, but going through that process, even though I may have not been as successful as someone who did have the experience, I just figured more about myself out. So I, I would want people to kind of put themselves out there regardless of failure, because what you learn is it's invaluable.
1: So whatever you learn is actually in preparation for the next big project. You don't know that until you're actually in there, right? Right, Exactly. <laughs> So um, you had actually uh, once you started working, mm-hmm. uh, you got invo- in, involved with the disability awareness program. Yeah, how did you how did you get involved with that?
0: Yeah, so this is this is the organization that I led that had absolutely no qualifications or or leadership to lead. Um, I got involved because they had a nationally a nationally established chapter of the disability ERG or employee resource group. Um, I was in the Southern California region of Accenture, um, still am, and they did not have a Southern California specific um, organization for the disability ERG. So the Inclusion and Diversity Council just asked one of the new um, Accenture members who happened to be my friend, if she would like to take it on. And she was like, interested, she wanted to be involved and she told me about it. And I lit up, I was like, Oh, that sounds really cool. I I would love for that to be at Accenture. I'm, you know, a disability advocate. I have disability in my family, so I care a lot about it. And I think my enthusiasm, uh, it got them both thinking that I would be the better lead because of the passion that comes out of that. Mm -hmm. So I I was kind of tasked with this responsibility, which I was like, it would be cool to have, but I don't know if I was wanting to be the one to start it myself, (laughs) you know, Um, that wasn't what I had in mind. And so, you know, I had a team, right. I had a couple other people and I had this uh, partner of Accenture who was overlooking us and, Oh my God. It was, it was very, 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 very difficult. (laughs) I, I didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to lead people in a way that was effective. Right. And you have to be able to understand how to talk to them. And I, I think I got frustrated really easily because I would say ideas and maybe they weren't the best ideas or I would receive pushback. And I was in my head, I was like, well, I'm, the leader. Like I, I must have the best ideas, right? It's kind of like the Stanford prison experiment where you're given a label. So you think you you know, you fulfill that role. Um, So that was really difficult understanding how to actually be a leader. And on top of that, working in a space that does not get a lot of attention, right? I think persons with disabilities is a minority group of the minorities. So so, you know, at Accenture the popular events are supporting women or you know, Asian Americans or whatever, but persons with disabilities getting no attention. And I still remember my first event that I um launched and nobody came. It was just me. <laughs> so, that was really really hard for me too. And I was like, I should stop, right? Like any sane person would reinvest their time in something that will be more worth it to them. But the reason that I continued is because I wasn't doing it for me, right? Like I wanted to do it for persons with disabilities. And if no one else was going to lead it, then I was going to have to learn to lead it. Um, And so through that, I started reading books on leadership and um, I started understanding how do people work? Right, People work if they can relate to something, then they want to come to your event. So I started to try and find things that would be relatable um, and weren't maybe immediately related to persons with disabilities, but would kind of hook people in. And so I know mental health is a big part of Southern California culture. So I focused on that and Um, I want to say, I think in one year I was able to go from just me to around a hundred advocates, over a hundred advocates in our community and a robust um, executive board. Uh, It was nothing that I could ever imagine for myself, but it was kind of this, I have no other option. I'm going to learn kind of thing. Um, So I would also recommend that kind of mindset for anyone trying anything new. Just kind of be of the mindset like I'm in this and I'm going to find my way out of it um instead of quitting.
1: <laughs> that is absolutely phenomenal. You in, basically went from 0 to 150 in a year. You know, and getting people to commit to a uh, to a volunteer effort is actually really hard because You know, it's not like you can put you can say, oh, you know, are you getting paid for it? It's a time outside of the regular job. So getting the people to be interested and really care for it is 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 hard. And so you were able to do that. And that's really commendable. So congratulations. Thank Thank you. So you are also one of your other passions is podcasting. Mm-hmm. So, and I know you're working on a show and you're working and you're still trying to work through it before you figure out what, uh, when you're going to drop the first episode. So tell us a little bit more about, um, your show and what's it about.
0: Yeah. So, um, it has a title and a logo before any shows actually were created, which is the funny part. I kind of did that as an accountability thing to, to make sure I did it, um, but I called it missteps to success. And the reason for that is because as you know, my entire life I've tried to be perfect. I'm trying to get everything right. And it's just funny when things go wrong, it's just so devastating. And so um, with this podcast, my idea you know, originally was, I want people to not be afraid to fail, to put themselves out there, to try new things, because it really does enrich your life when you take failure out of the equation. Right. Um, And for me personally, I've, I've failed many times in many different ways, but I think the most interesting part is the character development that comes out of it. And, you know, I currently, like, I think I mentioned before I'm trying to um, switch careers and when it comes to developing a resume, I have failed projects that I want to talk about because I want to be like, well, I learned this from it. So, you know, I'm never going to do this again. Right. Um, Or, you know, this was really hard, but here's what happened. I I became someone who isn't not necessarily bulletproof, but knows how to adapt and be flexible um, when things go wrong. And so I just want to make it more okay. And normalize talking about that. I and here's where that failed. Um (laughs) which is ironic. Um, I think there is a reason that people are not talking about this stuff online or on air, right? It's it's difficult and um, originally I wanted the first episode to be me, right? I don't want to make anyone open else. I don't want to make anyone else open up if I can't. So I was going to have the first story be my story and I was going to talk about my failures, but it was actually very difficult. And (laughs) I, I just couldn't find the one story that really defined me right like I have many different ones with all with different messages and I just didn't know how to make it seem like you know in hindsight, yes, like it wasn't a failure but at the time it felt like one. but talking about it now and talking about how great it was, it was just hard for it to really focus on the failure and it just sounded like um in the end, well, that doesn't sound like a failure or at least that's how I went when my my group, uh, with the fellowship. Um, you know, I shared my story and they're like, that doesn't sound like a failure. And I was like, but it was (laughs) for me. So, you know, I, that kind of had me pause and I was like, I don't know how to frame these interviews. I don't know enough about storytelling in order to do this properly. So, you know, I spoke to one of the directors and he mentioned, he was like, why are you doing this podcast in the first place? And I said, well, because I want to go into product management and building this podcast is building a product and the skills that I learned from it, I believe will be useful for my career switch. And along with that, I like having conversations with people. So, you know, why not do something fun along the way? And he said, oh, well, with that in mind, you should talk about Product failures, or you know, things that happen that can have you learn more about the industry at large. So, you know, that pivot, even though it's so different from my original idea, I'm actually very excited about it, and um, you know, I, I can't wait to to see it through. So, um, I think what I learned there was you can go in with one idea, you can think you're doing one thing and you come out doing something completely different. Um, You know, great example, back to my story, going into computer science and and not becoming a software engineer.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, life has a strange way of, you know, kind of pushing you out into a completely different direction that you were not prepared for, but actually might be the best thing for you, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, in, you know, as somebody who is in or mid twenties, right. And you are, you've worked in corporate. Um, and, and this is, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about is financial independence. So, uh, as, as somebody who is in their mid twenties, what are some of the, uh, most, uh, you know, significant lessons that you have learned about, uh, you know, financial related issues, either that you have learned or that you wish you knew?
0: Yeah. So, Um, this, this one's also a funny one. I remember when I, when I first got my job and, you know, I was getting my first paycheck and it's all great. Right. Um, and I, I asked my dad, I was like, okay, so how do I go from this to becoming rich? You know, and he, he kind of laughed and he was like, oh, do you think you'll get rich with just a paycheck? Because, you know, you need to be able to learn how to have other income streams and um, what it means to have passive income. And I was like, well, I I just wish someone told me that before. Like, you know, I'm working all this time to get one job. And I think that life is supposed to be set at that point. Right. Um, But little did I know that there's just this whole world of things that matter that I'm just not thinking about until I get my job. So financial independence is one of them. And This one actually is special to me because I am currently embarking on this project with a friend of mine and we don't know where it's going to (laughs) go. We don't know for the right people to do it, but we're currently running a community which tries to include more women. Um, in the conversations surrounding financial literacy and investing. The reason that we chose to do this is because she and I didn't realize that we were anomalies. Um, You know, we invest on Robinhood. We're talking about tech stocks all the time. We would text each other stock tickers excitedly. But funny enough, she works with all men and I work with all men. So that's kind of like our conversations at work. And we just thought that's just how it works. But we both happened upon this article talking about how there's just not enough women in the user base of Robin Hood or really talking about investing in general. And so we were like oh that's interesting you know it would be cool to kind of advocate for women to to talk more about this and so we asked around you know all our female friends and they were all very very excited because they're like oh yeah we've never ever really thought about this but we really really want to and so she and I created a little community on discord and we hold monthly events but what's different about our community which may or may not work, right? This might be a failure in the end. Who knows? But um she and I are not experts. We're learning. We're at the beginning of our financial journey. And the reason we want to lead this community is because we want to lead others to grow with us, to learn with us, to motivate them to be inspired and and research and and bring their knowledge to the th- to the table. Um, but I think <laughs> what the differences that people in the community want to know uh, or be taught in like a seminar or a course um and so we're we're struggling a little bit there but all of that to say that i have been inspired by her and by running this community as an accountability thing to to really learn this stuff and what's funny also is i've i've thought about you know, what it means for me uh, as a non-married person, right? Like if I get married, I've thought about this before. Like I have a lot of friends who are older to me who are male who say, you know, they want to invest in property or, or buy property and they're worried about how much money to have for down payment and closing costs. And for me, I was like, well, I don't know if I have to worry because I would hope to be buying a house with a partner. So, you know, at least there's a half and half deal. Mm -hmm. which is fine. But I I've recently been very inspired to buy my own, um, piece of property within the next year or two, just to know, um, you know, just to have the knowledge and the confidence and, and be able to stand on my own two feet, um, and kind of live life, not depending on someone, um, and it's scary. It's daunting. I, I don't think it's something I'm comfortable with at all. Um, and I even told my dad, I was like, I think I, I want to invest in property. And he was very like shocked. He was like, why? You know, <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. Even I didn't do that. So, you know, I I'm scared for sure. But I, I really, really, really want to do it because I just feel like what I learned from it is going to be invaluable and I myself am not good with money, but I think having to have the money saved up to put for a house, like that will teach me to be better with money. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I just have to do things to myself to, to hold myself accountable. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that.
1: Well, I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Congratulations. Thank is, you. you know, and I, 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 you know, it's very important, especially for women, women of color to be independent at a young age. You don't want to wait until when you're older and you have less options, because when it comes to investing, it's all about time. So the more you put now when you're younger, the less you would have to worry about as you grow older, you know, so time is your best friend, right? So that's the biggest advantage you have. So yeah. We will definitely talk more about this again. (laughs) I I think you should be very proud of where you are. I mean, you're a young brown, um, you know, first generation, trying to make a difference, learning about uh, a lot of different things that you're not comfortable with it. At the same time, you're trying to make a difference. But knowing all the things that you know now, and, you know, you're looking at other young brown women just like you what would you want to tell them about wanting to follow their dreams? Mm. Um,
0: I'm going to say, don't look at life as chances to get things right. Um, That's kind of how I viewed things. I always saw opportunities and I would always think, how can I do this? Well, Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, look at your opportunities, take them, but also just fail. Just say that to yourself. Say that it's okay to fail. Um, and honestly, like, <laughs> it's interesting how you might probably still fail, even if you try to get it right. I know I have. So I would say, go into things with an open mind and look at it as like, okay, like, how am I going to probably get this wrong? And I think having that mindset will will really teach you to look at your blind spots. And, you know, if failure happens, it's not like a very devastating thing. It's like, okay, like, this will probably happen. I tried something new. I took an opportunity. I'm in a new stage in my life, right? Like it's, it's interesting that we try to blueprint things out, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to be this way in college so that my twenties are like this, but then you get to your twenties, you've got a whole host of other problems that you weren't even thinking about in college. So with that in mind, context is always different. You can't plan or blueprint things out. So look at each stage in life as a level. Like, okay, I finished college. I've unlocked a new level, which is my twenties, you know, and how, how am I going to go about this now? So
1: yeah, that's what I would say. So looking back, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you have told your younger self? Um,
0: honestly to, to keep doing what she was doing. I don't, I don't think I have any other, you know, advice. And it's funny because when I was going through college, all I could say was, oh, I wish I did this differently. I wish I did that differently. Um, but now that I think about it, just the way things have played out, um I'm very, very, very happy with how things went for me. And I think that can be said for pretty much Anything and anyone when they're trying something new, because what you learn from that, what you take away from that, you have no idea how it's going to apply later. But when it does,
1: something's going to click and you'll feel very rewarded for it. That is awesome, and thank you very much, um, Karishma. You are uh, truly inspirational. I'm very, I'm very proud of how far you've come, and I'm excited for all your new projects. And you know, I'm sure it'll make a huge, huge difference. And I wish you the very, very best of luck.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, yeah. I'm
1: very excited for them too. We'll see if they make a huge difference, but they oh. will on
0: me. So <laughs> I think that's the most important part.
1: Yes, <laughs> everything that you do will definitely make a difference. It. It may have effects in things that you didn't know, but it will work its way out somehow. So
0: (laughs) I like that. I like that. I actually needed to hear that. So
1: thank you. (laughs) You're, You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, you could be one story away from being inspired.